Let me invite you now to open your Bibles to Psalm 27, our scripture reading today, Psalm of David. Psalm 27. Hear now the word of God. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble He will keep me safe in His dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of His tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me, At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, even as your word has been opened, you have been exalted. Even in this service, we have experienced your glory and the wonder of your beauty, your love and your grace and your mercy through Jesus to us. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts now, that we might see the reality of things that are scary and the greater reality of who you are and what you want to do in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the big struggles that we have in our life is the the thoughts we, we struggle with every single day of what someone might do to us or what someone or a group of people might not do for us. How we might experience some kind of attack from somebody Or how we might be left out and hurt in that way by somebody. But I'll tell you, we, every one of us have brought fears into the house of God this morning. And you are welcome. You and your fears. The things that go bump in the night, you are welcome. In the presence of God, the the one who wants to bring help and healing to our fears... Here's what God says to you this morning in your fears. You don't have to be worn down by them all the time. You don't have to magnify and and increase your fears all the time. You can actually have a reduction of your fears through what God in his mercy wants to do. And Psalm 27 basically is teaching us this. More focus on God means less fear. 
More focus on God means less fear in our hearts. So I ask you the question, what are you afraid of? What are you struggling with? This morning, I mean, there are people. I ask that question. I mean, you're you've got. I mean, you're right there with it. You know exactly what you're afraid of. You know exactly who you're afraid of. You know exactly what you're afraid will happen, and what or what you're afraid will not happen, and how that will devastate you or hurt you. In Jeremiah one eight, there's this beautiful verse. It's kind of similar to Psalm twenty seven where God tells Jeremiah, Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you, and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you, and I will rescue you. It's very similar to Psalm 27, but there's a a little bit different wording in the Hebrew language in that particular psalm, uh, that particular passage. The same word for fear that we have here, but in Jeremiah 1.8, it says literally the most interesting thing. Do not be afraid of them literally means don't fear their faces. Now, isn't that a fascinating way to look at fear? I mean, all the faces that float up in the night (laughs) when you're trying to sleep. Angry faces. Sad faces that you're worried about. Faces of disappointment or the fear that there will be faces that are disappointed with you. And it's interesting because the things that we fear most in life are done by people or not done by people. And we literally have this issue of fearing faces and, and, and looking at, at, at these faces in our hearts. And, and, and God is saying to us, we, you're, we're spending too much time fearing faces. This is a psalm of David. It's attributed to David before you get into the psalm. And we're not exactly sure when David wrote this psalm. There's really two main times when when we think David may have wrote it. But they're both... Both of those possibilities uh, are, come from times where David would definitely have some faces to be scared of floating up in his subconscious, you know, in his mind at night. The first time would be when his son Absalom, uh, the long-haired, curly-haired son, uh, wanted to, to pull what we call a coup d'etat and, and take over, overthrow David off of his chair, off of his throne in Jerusalem. And David literally had to run from his life from his own son. And his son wanted to kill him. So whose, whose face is coming up in, in David's heart at night? It's, it's Absalom's face. And it's not just Absalom. It's the, the generals, the ones that he used to command that are really good at killing the enemy. They're coming after him. And there's fear. But most Old Testament scholars believe that that this was written before, by David before he actually was able to sit on his throne in Jerusalem when he was being chased by the king of Israel whose name was Saul. And he really had a lot to be afraid of because, you know, he had not been the king. He was just this young man. And here is the king and the entire army is searching for him. Who, what faces are floating up to him in the middle of the night? Saul's angry, jealous face. And the face of those commanders and, and different people. But the point is, there were lots of faces to fear for David. And, and I think that... Whatever it is that you're afraid of this morning, it, it, it 
probably can't quite be put to the level of David's fear. There's a difference between left, being left out of something or having somebody say something to you to embarrass you or, or do something to you to, you know, to, to make you, to hurt you. There's a difference between that and someone literally trying to snuff out your life and, and rub you off the face of the earth. But our pain is painful, is it not? And our fears are so real. All of us. You have fears in your hearts this morning. We read in verse 2 of this psalm, When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and foes attack me. Verse 3, when an, Though an army besiege me, though war break out against me. Do you get the sense of just the, the anxiety that David must have had? And here's what God wants to teach us through this psalm of David. And it's so important uh, in dealing with our fears. This is the sentence I'd like for us to kind of work with this morning. You can write it down. This is a great thing to pull out over uh, Sunday lunch and talk to your family about. Here's the sentence. If God is all we say he is, then more focus on him equals less fear of others. Let me say that again. If God really is all that we say he is, then more focus on him equals less fear of others. So how do we deal with our fears according to Psalm 27? It's not by just saying over and over that it's not, you know, these things really aren't true, these things really aren't true. It's not denial, it's not playing mental games. No, it is more focus on him, on God, will actually equal less fear of others. So let's start with this, this first notion of if God is all actually all that we say he is, and we say what the Bible says about him. You know, you read the, the pages of the Bible to ask, who is this God? And, the, and God is basically described in, in two major categories in the Bible. He is the sovereign and the savior. He is the God who created everything out of nothing. He is the God who sits enthroned. He is the sovereign, the absolute monarch of the universe, uncontested in his power, holding all things together by his mighty power. He is the one who is sustaining. He is the one over all things. That's God. That's what the Bible says about God. But he's not just that sovereign. He's also our Savior. That God actually through sending his son to, to erase the sin problem that we have, he's very holy, he's absolutely holy, to erase that problem, that God actually wants us to have a relationship with him through his loving initiation of his dealing with the, the issue between us and him. And when we, when we put our trust in what that God has done for us through his son Jesus, all that power, all that glory, all that sovereignty is utilized toward us. And so what happens is, is we, in our hearts we say, okay, more focus on him. The sovereign is my savior. God's bigger than my problems. All right? God's bigger than my fears. He's the sovereign and he brings all of that power and all of that love to bear in the lives of his people. His will for us is good, pleasing, and perfect. Then this is kind of the Old Testament version of Romans 8.31. If God is for us, do you know the, the second part of this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Answer, nobody. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear if the Lord is my light? Answer, nobody. 
The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom should I be afraid? Answer, nobody, you see. If God is all he says, uh, that we say he is. Now, that we, we, the, David says he's three things here. God is my, my light, he is my deliverer, and he is my stronghold. God is my light simply means that God is that holy God, that God of goodness. He is the God who, of truth, and he, we, we are walking in this very difficult world where all these things go bump in the night. And you know what we need? There, there are fears they're, they're a little bit shapeless in the dark, aren't they? They're just aerosol compressed by all the worries, and we keep them down. And they just feel so enormous, just packed in there. What God wants to do is flip on the light. They, look, that's what they really are compared to me. God is my light. He is, he is the one, the one who, who tells me the truth. He is the one who will guide me and actually show me what is real. Secondly, God is my salvation. And that doesn't mean personal salvation here, like getting saved kind of personal salvation. It means God is my deliverer. It means God's the one who rescues me. It's the, it's the same name that, that the word Jesus comes from, the word Jesus in the Old Testament. Do anybody know what Jesus in the Old Testament is, the equivalent in Hebrew? It's Joshua. And the Greek is Jesus, but it has to do with you know, I'm going to be, I'm walking in this fallen world. There's all these things I'm afraid of. God is bigger than that. God will deliver me. He'll guide me. He'll deliver me. But then also God is the stronghold of my life. Stronghold of my life. That's an interesting fra- turn of phrase right there. And, and we have no clue what that means. You know, we don't live in, a, in, we don't live in an, uh, an era of hand-to-hand combat. We live in an era where that missile out there, if it were an ICBM, an intercontinental ballistic missile, there's nowhere to run or hide from a nuclear warhead. It does, you can't find a stronghold. If it hits, you're gone. That's not the way it was back then. You know, they fought with swords and lances and javelins, and it was hand-to-hand. So if you wanted any semblance of safety, if you wanted to sleep at night... You know what you had to do? You had to go find what was called a stronghold. You needed to find like a cave or something that you'd have a real defensible position or a high place that you could come down and, and attack or just some kind of a place. The, the word literally means a safe place. Here we are in a, a fallen world where things go bump in the night and we're filled with fear. God wants to flip on the lights. God says, I will deliver you. And I will be that stronghold. I will be that safe place for you. Uh, Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. God is the one who keeps us safe. Now I want you to notice when it talks about God, God is my light and my deliverer, my stronghold. Notice the personal pronouns there. God is my light. This is very personal. See, this is David with his fears of Saul or Absalom. God, this God, the sovereign, is my savior. He is my light. He is my deliverer. He is, he is my safe place. And, and, it's, and, and it's not like David is saying, look, God will, God will give me some light. God will, will throw me down some deliverance. Or God will give me some safety. This is so wonderful because what David's actually saying is, is I have a relationship with God and God is the light. 
And, I, and I, I'm with him. I, the presence of God, finally at the end of the day, and focus on God and his presence is going to be what actually deals with the fears of our hearts. He is light. He is my rescuer. I am in him. He is my safe place. You know, with all the increased focus on sports in our culture, in the last 15 years, have you noticed that, I mean, Americans have always loved sports. You know, SEC football, man, I'm all about SEC football. But in the last 15 years, as cable television has come online and the, the Internet has come online and as um, talk radio really has come online, I mean, you know, there are so many sports shows now. I mean, there's, I'm just waiting for, like, ESPN 28. You know, there's, I don't know how many there are now, you know. And then there's, there's this sports show and South sports show and then talk sports and, and all kinds of sports. Now, with all that proliferation of talk on sports, some of our vocabulary is changing according to some of the jargon of the way sports is taking over our, our culture. Here's one. Uh, and I heard this listening to sports radio, by the way. Um, maybe you could put it in a sense. I'll put it in terms of recruiting because we're all experts in recruiting suddenly. Um, we got so-and-so... He's a five-star recruit, but more important than that, here comes the word, he's a game changer. He's a game changer. Have you ever heard that term? Now, the women are going, I have no clue what that is. It's like Amy Head is a game changer or something like that, you know? Um, a game changer means that everything has to react to that person. That's the person that will make a difference. That's what David is saying. Look, I may have troubles, I may have fears, but God is the game changer. I've got to believe in what, what the Bible says about God because he literally is the ultimate game changer. Let me read this again to you. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold, the safe place of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh. This is violent. When my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. So, what is our sentence? If God is all we say he is, more focus on him equals less fear of others. God's my light, my salvation. God is my stronghold. But secondly is this notion of focus on God. It's one of the most famous passages in the entire Psalter. It's verse 4 of, of Psalm 27, and it, and it starts with these words. These are profound words. In the midst of all these fears, one thing, he says. Isn't that amazing? One thing I ask of the Lord. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek. This is my answer. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Hear these words. And gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. I am being chased down by Saul. I've got fears. You have fears. God really is who, he, who we say that he is. And it all comes down to focus on God. On, on, on God. And, and um, it's just a beautiful thing. There was a very popular song when I was growing up in the 70s. Uh, those of you who are a little older will remember this song. Some of you, I think like 
that, some of my old music is actually coming back. So my kids actually know some of my songs. I hear them singing. Um, this was a song by a group called 38 Special. Uh, not the most edifying group in the world, but uh, it was a song by 38 Special. And the name of the song is So Caught Up in You, Little Girl. Some of y'all have heard that. It's a love song. You know, it's just kind of like, like other love songs. What, what is the basis of love songs? The basis of love song is my life was nothing until I found you. Until I, you are everything to me. I am just caught up in you. I'm obsessing about you. That, that's kind of the love song, right? It's a little different from the I'd climb any mountain, swim any ocean kind of love song. It's what David's saying. He says, you know, the one thing I need is I need God to be caught up in you. One thing I need is to seek you, is to worship you, to focus on you. Remember in Matthew chapter 17, there was this incredible thing that happened to Peter, James, and John. Jesus said, I want you to come up with me on this mountain. And they, they went up on top of this mountain, and a, and a cloud came down, the glory cloud, and the cloud lifted, and Jesus was right before their eyes, quote, transfigured. He was transformed into this dazzling appearance of beautiful white clothes and, and the holiness and the glory and the, just the, the utter beauty of who Jesus really is. They got a glimpse of kind of like what the glorified Christ would look like. And, and if you don't know the story, two people were suddenly among Jesus, there was Moses and there was Elijah. There was the law and the prophets right there with Jesus. And Peter saw this. And, and do you remember how Peter reacted? It's just like Psalm 27. Peter said, Master, it's so good that we're here. And then he said something even more to the point. And I'll paraphrase it. Let's don't ever go home. Let's don't ever go home from here. This is it. This is utterly transforming. This is reality that is so much greater than other reality. Remember he said, I know we'll do, Lord, we'll build three pavilions. We'll build three tents. We'll build one over Moses. We'll build one over Elijah. And we'll build one over you. And we'll just stay up here our whole lives. And, of course, he was not allowed to do that. The cloud came back down, uh, went back up, Jesus uh, Moses and Elijah disappeared. But there, there it is. Focus on him changes us. 2 Corinthians 3.17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom with God, it means. And we, with unveiled faces, when Jesus died on the cross, he took the curse of the law and suddenly there's just no barrier between us and the glory of God personally. We with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Oh Lord, we don't ever want to go home. We want to focus on you. One thing I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek that I may... Dwell in the house of the Lord all my days and, and behold the beauty of the Lord. 
and seek him in his temple. His beauty is his pleasantness, his delight, his glory, the wonder of who he is. Now, I'd like to, to encourage you in one particular dimension of this. Yeah? And, and I want you to know before we get into, into this, what I'm saying is not punitive at all. I'm saying it as a pastor and, and a tour guide through the scriptures that you and I have fears and God wants to address those fears and he wants to reduce those fears through his presence. But the, the thing I'd like to address uh, is, is the idea of, of what David, in all the midst of these fears, really wanted and why that was important. Can you see David in a stronghold? Maybe there's some rocks, you know. He's, he's hidden out from Saul. You think David's praying? With, you know, he's got this little band of guerrilla fighters with him, and they're no match for Saul, and they're really no match if it's Absalom as well. You think he's doing any praying out there behind the rocks? I guarantee you he's, got, he's praying. He's got his accountability partners with him. He's got his little prayer group out there. He is having all this personal time with the Lord. He's crying out for his life. But that, dear people, is not what he wants. You know what he wants more than anything? He wants to go to church. You see, that's what he can't do on the run. He can pray. He can sing. He can have a little relationship with God. He can even have some prayer. But what he really wants to do is to be in the house. He longs to focus on the Lord with God's people. He longs to be one of the needy with the needy, to come among the believers, to believe again. And to worship God. And I know that it is very counterintuitive in our culture to, to actually imagine that the apex of worship is corporate and not private. But that is what the Bible teaches. The Bible is all about private worship. The Bible is all about a relationship with God. In fact, one of the reasons I love Psalm 27 is the Lord, remember, is my light, my salvation. This is David. He has a personal relationship with God. He is praying, but what he really longs for is corporate worship and this deep desire. You know, we cannot always manipulate things and change them to be okay in our lives. Have you figured that out yet? You're going to be a real frustrated person until you figure that out. Things that scare you, you think you can, you can manipulate people, change the circumstances and make everything out. You're going to probably make it worse rather than better. But I tell you what we can do. We can humble ourselves and worship God as needy people among needy people. And um, what David wants is this. And this is the same thing I want and you want. David wants to be in, a, in, a, in, in corporate worship, and he wants to be next to the guy or the gal over here who is just broken and weeping because she needs God so much. And he wants to be next to the guy over here who just had this amazing triumph in his life, and he's just praising the Lord, and, and these people in the back are all on the spectrum in between that he, he needs to be reminded of who God is by actually being with people who seek God. I'm going to tell you, you come into corporate worship, there are people who go through hard times in their life and say, well, the last thing I need to go to is church. No, no. The most thing you need to go to is church. And here's the reason why. Well, I don't feel like worshiping. Well, that's fine. That's what we're going to help you do. 
You see, you're going to come in, maybe you're mad, maybe you had a fight on the way to church, you know, like normal married couples have. Uh, That's okay. You don't don't turn around and go home. Maybe you feel just like this, but I'm telling you, the person right next to you is not like that. You look that way, you look that way, and you will be reminded, oh yeah, this is why we're here. It is such an incredible gift. And, And I could try to translate all of this to simply mean me and Jesus, only that would be something saying something the Bible is not saying here. It is personal, our relationship with Christ, and thank the Lord for that. But it's more. It's more. It's Jesus. Through Jesus, it's personal, but it's more. We have this saying. Here's the saying that you hear all the time. Christianity is not a religion. What is it? It's a relationship. Now, is that right or wrong? That's right. If by religion, you simply mean stuff that you do to try to attain a relationship with God on your own, or if by religion, what you really mean is, I'm a Christian, but i gotta, I got to jump through all these hoops, and it doesn't really mean a lot to me. It's just kind of like religious stuff I need to do. And so if, if that's what you mean by Christianity, it's a relationship, it's personal, and not a, a religion, that's okay. But I'm going to tell you something. In our day of runaway individualism and private spirituality as the apex, which is not what the Bible teaches, we need to remember the religious nature of a true intimate relationship with Jesus. All I'm saying and all David's saying is I love Jesus. I'm praying to him behind the rocks. He's my light and my salvation. But this actually shows itself... In public ways. And one of those ways is the fact that I am just as needy as the, as the guy three people down from me in worship. Webster's Dictionary defines the word religious, in case you're wondering what it means. The service and worship of God, a commitment or devotion to religious faith or observance. He believed in corporate worship. He longed for the great assembly. In fact, if you look at verses 5 and 6, you'll see the word in in your tabernacle, at your tabernacle, tabernacle. And he believed, and here's what I want you to grasp, that there is something reserved for corporate worship that simply is not given in private worship. Otherwise, let's just fold it up and go home. I mean, what is this? You see? I'm praying behind the rocks. I'm really afraid but what I re- want, the one thing I ask for, the one thing I seek is to be in God's temple, to seek his face, to gaze upon his beauty in his temple. And, and the reason that David is so emphatic about this is because he's on the run. It's because he can't go to church. And he desperately longs for that. Okay, if God is who we say he is, then more focus on him. Private and corporate means less fear of others. Let's look at that, that last part, less fear of others. If you're in Christ, I want you to know the darkness will not win. Satan cannot defeat Jesus. I want you to know on the basis of God's word that everything that's happening to you, there's some reflection of that sovereignty of God, and God will even use all that for his glory and you're good. And even all that is an expression of, of the love of God. 
But we do get afraid, all of us. I, I get afraid. You know, I, a uh, little tongue-in-cheek, but it's true. I got a letter from the IRS this week. And um, don't worry, I'm not going to debtor's prison or anything. But the letter, it scared me. You, don't, you know, you don't get nice postcards from the IRS. You ever notice that? I have never gone to my mailbox and went, oh, my friends at the IRS sent me a postcard. Dear Mr. Wheat, we just want you to know how much we appreciate you being such a dutiful and, and paying your taxes and on time. We love you. Hug, hugs and kisses, IRS. No, when you get something that says Internal Revenue Service up in the top right corner, you go, you tighten up. Because you know something bad or something corrective is about to happen. So I got a letter from the IRS. And, of course, I was scared before I opened it. And it said, the letter said something like this. On your tax return, Mr. Anthony Joseph Wheat III, you did not do everything exactly right. We have started the meter for your fine long before this letter was generated. And if you don't fix the problem, we're going to sell your firstborn child into slavery to pay for your era. You have two weeks. Make our day, punk. <laughs> no, that's not quite exactly the way it went. But, you know, it wasn't too far off. And so I called that nice gentleman at the IRS on the telephone and went through my, all my prompts to get there. And I said, I'm Anthony Joseph Wheat III, as if he'd say, yeah, we've been waiting for you to call. <laughs> And I said, look, I'm really sorry. I didn't check the right box. And he goes, you're, you're kind of overthinking this thing. Just fill out form 8907 and we're, we're done, okay? Well, no, I'm really sorry. Mr. Wheat, I don't care. Just fill out the form. <laughs> um, you know, but I'm afraid. That's the reason you do that on the phone with the IRS. There are things in our life a lot more scary than that, aren't there? A lot more scary than that. In March, on March 4th, 1933, in his inaugural address, Franklin Delano Roosevelt said something very profound. Some of you know this. Where he said that, and it was right in the middle of the Great Depression. I won't say we hope we won't have one of those. But uh, he said, the only thing we have to fear is what? Is fear itself. Is that true? I'm going to tell you, that is utterly profound. And utterly biblical if the answer to your fears is focus on the sovereign God who is our Savior. Any other answer, does, you're not going to address those fears in any other answer, but it is true. It is true that, you know what? Those things cannot stand up in contradistinction to God. The only thing we're really fearing deep down is fear and an emotion. It's a lack of focus. It's a lack of, of alignment toward God. And, and, and what I want to do is I want to read in closing the, the rest of this psalm. And I want you to think about how God is who he says he is. And more focus on him leads to less fear of others. And how fear turns into worship. And how worship in the psalm turns into trust. And how trust turns into confidence. Listen to this. That is even willing to wait. To wait. In other words, he goes from fear to absolutely being convinced that the sovereign is his deliverer. That even if the answer is not even right now, it's okay. Isn't that beautiful? Let me read the rest of the psalm to you. 
In the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle, I will shout with sacrifices of joy. I will sing to the Lord. I will make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. I want you to think about all those faces that float up. All the things that you're afraid of are attached to people. Don't you think about those faces when I read this verse. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, O Lord, will I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes. For false witnesses have risen up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. Here's where it turns to confidence. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, in the here and now. And it ends with these words, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? If God really is who we say he is, then more focus, the one thing I seek, More focus on him equals less fear of others. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that that we would become caught up in you. Lord, we manage our fears in a wrong way. We try to move them around in a shell game to make them look better. We try to rename them. We try to deny them. And all we end up doing is increasing them. Lord, would you speak through what you've done in your son to people right now? If you've never put your trust in what Christ has done, that one mediator between God and man, and you'd like to have that relationship, that very individual and personal relationship with God, just put your trust in what Christ has done on the cross on your behalf. Just do that in your hearts now. But Lord, there are many of us who know you, and yet we live with such daunting fears, large and small. Lord, would you be the lifter of our heads even now? Would you reconvince us of who you really are as the sovereign And Lord, would you woo us yet again so that we might come back into your arms to that safe place with you as our Savior that you might give us worship and confidence and that you would even cause these dear people in this room who struggle and myself to be able to wait upon you even with great security and joy. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.